Welcome to another episode of the Agile Weekly Podcast. I'm Clayton Langelzigic. I'm Derek Neighbors. I'm Roy Vanderwater. I'm Jade Meskill. I'd like to start out by asking uh, everyone if you could uh, please go to iTunes and rate this podcast if you, if you get it from iTunes. We would appreciate that. We'd like the feedback. Uh, we did see one comment. Uh, someone mentioned that we sound inexperienced, so we're going to take a look at the equipment and see if we can get that fixed. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what do you mean, sound? I assume there's something wrong with the board. Or okay. <laughs> All right, we're going we're gonna to get started talking about working agreements. Um, so here's kind of a, right off the bat, Roy, you work on a team where you have a, a working agreement with the team that says uh, that no production code will be siloed, so you're going to pair all the time, but the rub is that you have an odd number of people. Mm-hmm. So how does that work? And an odd group of people. Yeah, we have an odd group of people. <laughs> it's a secondary problem. I, I fit right in. So for us, that currently works by, uh, if you can't silo... And we always pair. That means that if we have not number of people, then you have three people in front of a computer. We, I think we talked about that last time, right? Stooging? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so is that three keyboards, three mice? Like, hey, what this, does that this look is like? an XP, my friend. So it's two keyboards and two mice. It's XXXPPP. <laughs> <laughs> it's triple XP. <laughs> uh, it's two keyboards and two mice. You can't really sit all across because then you're at too extreme of an angle to the, to the screen. You can't see anything. So, so let's talk about what, what happens when you're in this stooging uh, setup, just, just to set the stage real quick. Oh, what, what happens when I'm in it, or ideally what happens? Ideally, I guess, in this case, usually what happens is there's two people that are pairing and one person that sits behind and peers over both of their shoulders. Okay. And so uh, has your team discussed this working agreement and the consequences of it? Yeah, we discussed it this morning. Okay. How'd that go? Um, I got shot down with an absolute no when I decided when I proposed abolishing it. Okay. Was it the reason you got shot down was it because that they feel very strongly about uh, not having silos? Yes. So the reason I got shot down, which I think is a legitimate reason and a legitimate problem, was uh, they don't want silos. And the reason they don't want a silo is because if somebody's working alone, they can make decisions that the team is not privy to. And so they are really concerned about somebody making some kind of decision by themselves, and then the rest of the team has to deal with those consequences. I, I think there may be other ways for us to solve that particular problem, but that, that is the root fear that they claim to have, or that we claim to have, I guess. Is it something that, um, I guess, what are some ideas maybe that you had for fixing it? You know, how, could, how could you still have the working agreement where you don't let people silo on production code? But not do this thing where you have to peer over people's shoulders. So I like the. Uh, so wait, would you say you still have people silo or don't? I say not. Silo? You know, I think not having people silo on production code is a totally valuable or reasonable thing to have. Sure, I think I. I don't. I don't know if I. I mean, I. I kind of agree and I kind of don't. I think there's other ways to mitigate it. Like for example, what if we switched off pairs really, really frequently? Okay. Then you wouldn't get the opportunity to silo for long enough to do any real damage. Mm, right. Yeah. But uh, if you were to do a no siloing thing, I don't know. At this point, the way that I feel when we're stooging is when I'm the odd man out that's sitting in the back, like I am just wasting time. So I could be doing anything, like if it's answering email or doing self-improvement or something like that, like I feel like that would be a better use of my time. So to not get distracted with trying to solve that particular problem, yes. on a team, what happens when you end up with a working agreement like this where the team feels very strongly about uh, trying to protect one thing, but they're actually causing other problems with the working agreement that the team has agreed on, what do you do? Well, I mean, I, I think you know. I don't really think you can force teams 
to do things, right? So uh, sometimes we're, well, I mean, I think you could, but it's probably not prudent more often than not. And I, I think, you know, sometimes you have to let people be a little bit stupid until they recognize that maybe their stupidity is holding them back. Um, it sounds like in this instance, there's inklings that people are understanding that what, what's happening is problematic. Um, but at this point, they kind of have a value system that says, we value this so much that right now we're not willing to divest the value mm-hmm. of that uh, for something else. And yep. you know, I, I think it might be legitimate. It, I wasn't, I've not been with this team a whole, uh, very long, but I've heard that in the past they had some major issues with siloed work that caused major harm to the team and put several of their commitments either in danger or actually uh, destroyed their ability to commit to stuff. So like, I, can, I can understand and relate to that. So is there something about the way that a team might make working agreements where they would um, have the foresight to avoid some of this stuff? Or you know, maybe another way of asking that is how frequently should the team revisit their working agreements? Hmm. I, think, I think the trick is uh, a lot of times we, we want to write them down and kind of carve them into the tablets and they're, you know, they're the Ten Commandments of the team when really they're a fluid living thing, right? Mm-hmm. The intent is that they're there to help reinforce behaviors that we wish we had, mm. right? And once, we, once we've addressed that, um, you know, that we, should, we should get rid of that working agreement. And, you know, once that has become habit, let's, let's move on. They should be very fluid living things. Uh, I, th- I think it's hard to live with that reality that they, that they could be changing all the time. But, I mean, it doesn't maybe make sense to have a team working agreement to revisit all of your other working agreements on a regular basis to review them or should instead we just have a working agreement until something comes up that causes us to question it and that's the time to bring up whether or not we should continue to have it see i i guess i'm i'm starting to lean more and more in life towards working agreements are evil hell mm-hmm. in the yeah. sense of they look a lot like what we call policy sure. elsewhere and I think that we'd be much better suited as teams if we rooted ourselves in values and principles. And we could say behavior X is violating value Y, opposed to, you know, here's some hard and rigid rule um, that, you know, we have to revisit. And then as we continue to add to them, you know, it becomes, you know, it doesn't fit on an index card and then it doesn't fit on an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper and then it doesn't fit on a poster board. And mm-hmm. next thing you know, you've got the 795 page uh, working agreements. A book that people are trying to, you know, well, subsection B five nine three of the working, working agreement agree- states working that, agreement lawyers, you right. know, states between that and and I think if it, if it's more values, right? So I think if the, in this case, if the team said, you know, uh, we we value working together uh, more than value working independently, then they could kind of, you know, say like each one of those things, you know, is it valuable enough for us to do this first that, right? They could weigh values against um, each other. I, I totally agree. I mean, I kind of feel like we used to have that problem with integral back when we were doing like uh, contract development work like we used to come up with a smart goal every single week and so let's say five weeks in you totally forget what your smart goal was you know five weeks ago until you break it and it's convenient for somebody else to point it out you know and like that's like after a while like it builds up there's so much stuff that it's hard to remember all of it but a base system of values is not hard to remember and you can use logic to figure out the rest so i think smart goals are a little bit different and then I, I think that I think that it's important that you set uh, marks for success to say like if we do X can we change our behavior Y mm-hmm. right and measure that, that 
it change? If we have a hypothesis and then we do something to work against that hypothesis, can we get uh, the thing that we're trying to measure to move? And I think that's a little bit different than a working agreement. Um, and for me, at least for retrospective goals, I tend to say that they're only as good as that sprint unless the mm-hmm. you know, and then the next sprint they decide like, hey, let's do this again, right? Like sure. that they're temporal. I think working agreements are a little different, and then I think when people put them down, they think of them a lot more like policy, where they kind of exist until somebody says we terminate them. I, th- I think it really comes down to a fixed mindset versus a, a learning mindset, right? If if we treat the working agreements as rules, uh, which is not their intent, uh, but it but it tends to happen a lot that they become the rules of the team, uh, we're really missing the point, right? We're we're probably doing agile and not being agile. Uh, I think that's that's really what we need to be weary of as a team. In even values and principles, if they're if they're being used in such a way that they're a weapon against you know your fellow team members. You're missing the point. Yeah, so I think one thing that's interesting is if you took a team that maybe wasn't especially mature from like a team perspective, and um, let's say that they knew about XP and they knew that courage existed, right? So it's like, okay, courage means a lot of things to a lot of people. And maybe even if they, they kind of read into what they mean in that context, they might say agree to it. Uh, but I would say as the, as the team is immature, they might need something that was more of a specific working agreement. That as the team matured and they grew with that working agreement, they probably would come full circle to, hey, back now we're at Courage again. Right. Like It means something different to us. So I, w- I kind of wonder if, if as the team matures, they can kind of shed some of the weight of those things being rules and they can get to the principles. And they, w- they were always at the principles and values the entire time. They just didn't realize it. That makes sense. Mm. I like that. I, I don't know if that's the case or not, but it seems like that's kind of the way things go. Mm-hmm. Roy, you had mentioned um, you had mentioned kind of the the idea of like having a working agreement to revisit the working agreements. Yes. Um, and Jade, you had mentioned that they were kind of this living document. Um, I mean, I don't even know that a lot of teams really take them take working agreements seriously. I think they probably treat them more like rules, like what Derek's getting at. Right. Um, but you know, I don't know like how frequently. Like, how much effort should you put into those things? Like, how much meaning should they have on the team? Like, oh. I mean, you mentioned team rules, which sounds bad, but I kind of feel doesn't like, the team need something like that? I kind of feel like as little as possible so that there is as little resistance to change if you want to change them down the line. So I, I have a question real quick. Ha, this team that you're working with, have you guys discussed your principles and values? Like, are those, are those things that you've identified, or did you just jump right into working agreements? Man, I want to say yes, but I'm not entirely sure if we ever have. So I don't I don't know. Sorry. So that's another thing I've seen too. I, I wouldn't be able to tell you what our values are and principles. So. Right. Where people will have a scrum team and they'll say like, oh, it's a scrum team. So they use the scrum values. And then like, what are the scrum values? I don't know. And like, they never even agreed to these things. Yeah. So right. I feel like that happens all the time. Yeah. Right. Like even in our place, like we have the core commitments posted on the wall, but nobody's committed to them. Right. I was going to say, I guess to me, I'm, 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 as I lean further away from working agreements, things like the core really appeal to me where you've got core commitments, which are kind of like working agreements that are a lot more value based than they are rule based. Mm -hmm. And then you've got constraints to work within to say like, this is how we can solve problems based on these values so that like every unique situation that comes up, we don't have to say like, how do we interpret the rule? We've got mechanisms to communicate with each other to navigate how we want to deal with that rule. Right. right? These are the core protocols by Jim and Michelle McCarthy. Trying to get, avoid getting sued for your GPLv3 stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess, uh, are we maybe kind of sort of saying that you shouldn't use working agreements? I 
I don't I don't know if I would go as far as to say like they're just evil. Stay away from them. They're horrible. I just think like all things, they're a tool. Tools can be easily abused. Um, I, I think that people tend to when they get into working agreements, they tend to get legalistic really quick. And so you know, I, I think that what happens is either people don't take them seriously at all, and so they have no value, or people abuse them by using them as a stick to hit people so, with that they disagree with when they want to disagree with right. them. Right. I think I think if they're there, if they're done in the right spirit to really support uh, your principles and values by, by establishing some habits that you really wish you had, uh, I think they can be effective. So you mentioned like about the legalistic thing. Like I've noticed that a lot in all sorts of teams and groups and people that I've interacted with. Like there just seems to be this human nature to always go towards the legalistic. Why do you think that is? I don't know if it's human nature. I, I think it's because we don't do well with ambiguity. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all bring personal baggage. I, I, I think there are so many things. I think when we lack construct, when when we last lack guidelines, we really crave that. And so our natural tendency tends to be to crave like overdoing that. Where I think when you look at things like the core, they just give you good operating principles to guide on so that you can deal with issues as they come. And I I think to me, that's kind of like where we're evolving from an agile perspective too, right? You had, uh, you know, traditional project management PMP that was very, very, very highly prescriptive, highly rule-based, highly, you know, in like any little thing that comes in, you know, as a change order now has a full change request thing because it was just not designed to deal with any new introduction to the system and now we're getting you know more and more nimble things where we say like there's less and less structure and there's more and more values and principles right. and and as things come in you try to basically do the right thing and i think that that's a, a much different I, I like to call it it's it's permission versus policy right and, and i think when you start to move more towards that you you have to have much more robust ways of dealing with that right like if you've got no structure at all Right, and it's almost like the the inverse because when you look at agile, people think, "Oh, there's no structure," but I think it's actually highly, highly structured, just in a very simplistic way. So mm-hmm. the, the the rules are much more simplistic, but they're much more difficult to understand or nuance. Right, and so it gets into the whole, you know, whether you call shurahi, whatever, like that. You know, people that have been doing it for a long time can't understand why people that are new to it just you know struggle so much, right? Because mm-hmm. it should just be so simple. There's just these few little things, right? But it takes years and years of experience to understand when and how to apply those things right there's so much you know context to them all right well i think we're out of time so thanks guys thank you is there something you'd like to hear in a future episode head over to integramtech.com slash podcast where you can suggest a topic or a guest Looking for an easy way to stay up to date with the latest news, techniques, and events in the Agile community? Sign up today at agileweekly.com. It's the best Agile content delivered weekly for free. The Agile Weekly podcast is brought to you by Integram Technologies and recorded at Gangplank Studios in Chandler, Arizona. For old episodes, check out integramtech.com or subscribe on iTunes. Need help with your Agile transition? Have a question and need to phone a friend? Try calling the Agile Hotline. It's free. Call 866 244 8656.